A reading from Psalm 47. Hear now the word of the Lord. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome, a great king over all the earth. He subdued the people under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God is king over all the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The prince of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. I pray all is well with you on this, the Lord's Day. And as Elizabeth mentioned in her opening, that tomorrow we will uh, celebrate or we'll we'll at least remember and honor uh, those who have given their lives in defense of our country over the years. And so I would encourage you to pause at some time, sometime on Monday, and uh, give thanks for those and to remember their families, as I'm sure they still grieve uh, that loss. As next Sunday is Pentecost, on which we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, uh, marking the end of Easter, today I will preach the final sermon in our series, uh, The Flip Side. Uh, What does resurrection mean on this side of Easter Sunday? And I pray that it's been a blessing to you and that you've been able to see new life and hope and resurrection uh, on this side of Easter these past few weeks. I want to say thanks to our friends who you saw in the Apostles' Creed video that preceded this message. I want to say thanks to them and uh, to all of those who helped uh, create that video I thought it was uh, important. I know that some of you um, uh, have a preference for a more traditional uh, style of worship, and uh, I thought it would be a good time to uh, insert the Apostles' Creed because it does have uh, value for where the uh, message is going today. And I know that uh, the familiarity of liturgy is comforting uh, to some of you. Perhaps you even joined along with them as they recited uh, the Apostles' Creed. I thought it was appropriate because today is Ascension Sunday. Thursday will be Ascension Day, um, and today we will focus on that event in our faith, the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. It is one of the feast days of the church that dates back to uh, 4th or 5th century, and As we are Protestant, we don't pay a lot of attention or celebrate all of the feast days, but um, of course you will recognize some of them as Christmas and and Easter and the baptism of the Lord, um, and of course next week, uh, Pentecost, Palm Sunday. But uh, Ascension Day uh, is equally as important. It has theological implications of how we understand and practice our faith. You will hear in today's text the basis 
for the timing and the celebration of Ascension Day. It occurs, as I mentioned, 40 days from Easter or the day of Jesus' resurrection. The customary text for Ascension Day is Luke's writing in the book of Acts. I'll be reading from the first chapter, and I'll be reading the first 11 verses. So hear now the reading of God's Word. Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set aside by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you and into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Luke continues the narrative that he began over in his other book, the one that bears his name. In chapter 24, he concludes by saying, when he, Jesus, had led them out of the, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. The conclusion of his gospel is also the beginning of the church. Just as suffering, death, and burial was not the end of Jesus' story, neither is resurrection. Luke tells us that for 40 days, Jesus appeared to not just the apostles, but to other disciples, continuing to teach them about the kingdom of God and giving them instructions. It was during these 40 days that he began to speak of the coming Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said, it was important that he go away, for if, if he didn't go away, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. And so he assured them that he would be with them always, even though he was out of sight, he would not be absent. I am with you always to the end of the ages, he said. And we will revisit the story of 
the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost next week. But for now, I want to uh, explore the idea of Jesus moving from planet Earth to heaven or to the heavenly realm, as some like to say. Jesus' ascension is one of the tenets of our faith and the faith of the Christian church. You heard it in the Apostles' Creed. Perhaps you recited along with our friends in the video, and I hope that you noticed in the video that the, the creed uh, progressed from generation to generation. It was intentional, and it is symbolic of how we pass uh, our faith to the next generation and how those things that we stand on are constant through time. I believe, we say, in a creator God and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. God incarnate in the flesh, in this person, Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he arose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And there it is, in the middle of one of the oldest creeds of our faith, our professing that Jesus, this Jesus who was resurrected, also ascended. We notice in the first part of our scripture lesson that the disciples are still obsessing about Jesus becoming king. They still have this idea that Jesus will go to Jerusalem and he'll, and he'll take up residence on the throne and, he, and he'll restore Israel to their glory days. They're ready for Jesus to become king. And as usual in the gospel narratives, they, they get it wrong. Oh, to be sure, Jesus is king and he does establish the kingdom of God where he is ruler, but not how they were hoping. Just when they thought it was time, Jesus disappears once again, right before their very eyes. Not into a tomb this time, but into the heavens. Jesus' ascension is a move from this place, the earthly realm, to that place reserved for him at the right hand of God on his throne from which he rules over all creation. The ascension of Jesus moves the story along the story of God's plan of salvation for all of creation. Just as Jesus' death was not the end of the story, neither is resurrection, nor is the ascension. But that is another sermon for another day. Ascension is the continuation of the plan. And it's important to our understanding and the practice of our faith. 
And so for clarity, I think the imagery of a newly named king taking the throne is helpful here. A king begins his reign at coronation from the seat of power. In more recent times, the the, the transfer of power is done formally with, with great pomp and circumstance. And as you can imagine, crowds show up. And this newly named king appears. And he is dressed like a king with flowing robes and bright colors, and and he ascends to the throne and takes his place of power. And it is there that the crown is placed on his head and he is given the scepter. And in Christian nations, uh, this would be done by uh, an ordination of a priest. And the king's rule would officially begin. Now keep that image in mind as we reflect on what's going on in the text. Jesus led the crowd of disciples up to a mount, the Mount of Olives or Bethany, depending on which uh, writer you're reading. And their expectation is that he is about to become king and would naturally take the throne in Jerusalem. But instead, Jesus is taken from them again, this time ascending into heaven. How confused and disappointed they must have been. But let's look closely. If Jesus is to be king over all of creation, both above and below... Where must the throne be located? If Jesus is to rule over all of creation from the place of power at the right hand of God, the Creator, where must the throne be? Just as Jesus did not resurrect himself, he did not of his own power ascend to the throne. There is an exchange of power going on here where Jesus took, where where God took Jesus up into heaven and placed him on the throne. His ascension from earth to the heavenly realm was an ascension to the place of power. In his being taken up, God continues to work the plan of salvation for all of creation. In this moment, there's there's been this transfer of power. God has named Jesus Lord and put under his rule all of creation. Now, what does a newly named king need? In the days before Instant communication and the 24-hour news cycle, a a king would have people who would go out into the villages and the towns and they would communicate this great news of this change in power. A king needed heralds. He needed, needed witnesses. He needed evangelists. He needed those that would go communicate this message to the people. 
enter the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. The function of the Holy Spirit is to empower the messengers to go and communicate the message. Things have changed. Your life is about to change, the heralds would say to the people. The cry of the messengers throughout the kingdom at that time, that Jesus is Lord, is subversive. It was customary that people proclaimed Caesar as Lord. Caesar was God. Caesar was Lord. And so this proclamation now that Jesus is Lord would have been a direct affront to the power of Caesar and his rule. This is scandalous to the power holders then as it is scandalous to the power holders of this day. To say that Jesus is Lord is also to say that nothing else has power over you. To say that Jesus is Lord is to live in a way that pleases the king. To live in a way that reflects the the values and the character and the virtue of the king. To say that Jesus is Lord... He who rules with love and grace and mercy is to live a life of love and grace and mercy in order to honor the king. Of course, the question is, do you believe it? Do we believe Jesus is Lord over all creation and in particularly is Jesus Lord of our life? Do you believe that Jesus has taken his rightful place of power at the the right hand of God over, as Paul would say, the principalities of darkness, over all aspects of life, all aspects of your life? Is Jesus fully Lord of your life? Or are there some places you still retain power. You see, one of the the problems of the messages of American Christendom where Jesus has left the building and gone to that place to prepare a room that will someday come and get you and take you back to live with him in the sweet by and by denies Jesus' lordship over the here and the now. You may have heard it said that Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. Now that's a little dualistic for me, but it conveys the message that either Jesus is Lord or he is not. Is he Lord over your work, your home, your family, your marriage, your relationships? Is he Jesus Lord over your time, over your money? In the days of the Crusades, the tradition has it that the soldiers would be baptized before they went into battle to fight on behalf of the church and, of course, of God. And in their baptism, they would withhold their sword. They would keep their sword out of the water as a symbol of retaining ownership of and authority of their weapon. Is this true 
for you? What areas of your life have you kept out from under the waters of baptism and the lordship of Jesus? Is it your checkbook, your computer, your television, your career? Where have you refused to surrender to the authority of love, grace, and mercy? You see, the truth is that not only was Jesus resurrected, he was also exalted, lifted up, elevated to that place of power. And to make this claim gives us power to live under his lordship. His absence from our sight must not be interpreted as an absence from the world. He has taken up residence on the throne, set aside especially for him until that time when he reappears and establishes his kingdom for all time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy Easter. Let us pray. God, for this message of your word and of the gospel in which you have taken your rightful place as Lord over all, may it ring true in our lives. By your grace, may we surrender our lives to you, all of our lives that your rule of love and grace and mercy penetrate our very hearts and may it be lived out in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' absence from our sight is not his absence from the world. Jesus is Lord. The question is, are we willing to allow Jesus to be Lord of all? Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live under the rule of love and grace and mercy where Jesus is Lord. Go in peace.